Thank you, Karis and Costner and Bridger. Thank you, Becky, for that. Ferris, Lord Jesus. If you're in first through third grade, you can slip out to our children's church at this time. The rest of us are turning to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the gospel of John. We've been slowly working our way through this gospel, pulling out every detail of how John is fulfilling his mission to present Jesus as the Messiah, the one through whom you can have life, life everlasting. We're going to read verses 16 through 21 this morning. Then we're going to ask God's blessing on the preaching moment. Let's look at John chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 16. Immediately following Jesus feeding the great multitude, we read the following. Verse 16, When evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, would you help us to see your character, that we may trust you and love you more, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever looked around you and witnessed the compassion of Christ demonstrated on the lives of others, but when you look at your own life, it seems as though God's compassion has not been extended to you, or maybe extended in the same way? Are you tempted to fear because of the chaos happening around you and the lack of love that you feel? extended from God into your heart. If these statements or fears would characterize you this morning, God is going to give you great hope through this passage of Scripture. Our focus for the entire worship service has been on the compassion of Christ. Compassion. What is compassion? I gave you a definition last week that I think it would be wise for us to reiterate this morning and continue to operate in regards to, and that is that compassion is seeing the need of someone else and making that need as important to you as it is to them. That someone else sees something is very important, is very vital in their life, and maybe it isn't going well, or, or maybe that need hasn't been met, and you look at their life and you're, you don't see that need as important as they do. But then compassion is to, in love, look at that person's life and to make that need important to you as well. 
And so when we apply that to relationship with God, you might say, God has not been extending compassion to me in the sense that I have this need that I see as so important, and I wonder if God sees it as important as I do. Does God see my health as important as I do? Does God see the needs of my family, my children, my grandchildren? Does he care about those as much as I care about them? You say, why would we bring that up in this passage? Well, the disciples have just left the feeding of the 5,000 the 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people on this hillside, they saw an incredible act of compassion towards the multitude. And now they have to ask the question, does Jesus have that same compassion towards them? So we asked this question this morning, does God have the same compassion towards you that he has Toward others. This account is given, and it is a beautiful picture of God's authority over all creation. The God who spoke the sea into existence exerts his authority over the sea by walking on the water. The disciples take the only boat they have to head to the other side, but Jesus doesn't need a boat. He created the water, and so he can easily use the water to accomplish his mission, his purpose, as he easily walks along the water or on top of the water. The storm had no effect on the Son of God. He created the wind. He separated the waters from the waters. He commands the rain and the snow to fall from heaven, and so even this powerful storm has no bearing on whether whether or not Jesus has power to calm it. In these verses, we see that the disciples have an experience with Christ that will forever shape them as followers of Jesus. And as we look at this account this morning, I would like to recognize its purpose. Both to reveal Jesus as the creator and the second purpose in the context of chapter 6, is to reveal the disciples as genuine believers. That's the theme of chapter 6, because you have the miracle of the multitudes who start following Christ because of what Christ can do for them, and then at the end of chapter 6, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog in my throat, as we'll see in the coming weeks, <coughs> maybe that'll clear it out. <clears throat> the end of chapter 6, as we'll see in the coming weeks, we see these same followers who aren't true disciples because what happens is when Jesus reveals to them what genuine discipleship looks like, when he reveals to them what genuine following of God is, they turn and they leave and they say the phrase, these words that he says are hard words. And so chapter 6, in its broader context, is revealing to us the nature of genuine discipleship. And in the midst of this passage, we see John showing that Jesus is creator God and revealing that the disciples are genuine followers. Inside of that this morning, though, I would like to use this passage as an illustration of the dark trials that every Christian faces and the compassion that Jesus demonstrates to his followers in the midst 
of trials. And I do this with caution because we never want to read Scripture with ourselves at the center. Christ is always at the center. We never want to read a passage of Scripture and see ourselves reflected. We always want to see God reflected in Scripture. However, there are appropriate times when we can see God's people either suffering or rejoicing or God's people responding in some way, and we can pull that into our own lives as an illustration of both how God interacts with his people and how God's people should respond to him. And so this morning, I would like to bring a message to you entitled, Peace in the Midst of the Storm. And I would like to recognize Jesus' ultimate authority over all creation as creator, and the disciples' response of faith as genuine followers. But I'd also like to look at this passage as an illustration of how God's people should find compassion from him in suffering. In fact, you could say it this way. In the darkness of your trials, you can find comfort that you're never outside the reach of God's compassion. Jesus has just demonstrated his divine compassion by feeding the multitudes. Now he demonstrates his compassion in a very unique way. He demonstrates his compassion by allowing the disciples to enter into a trial. In fact, Mark chapter 6, which would be the parallel passage to this, actually records for us that Jesus is the one who sends them into this trial. And in the midst of this trial, he allows them to come to the end of themselves so that they may see that God is the God of the impossible. I'd like to show you this in four different truths about God in this passage. Four comforting truths in the midst of the darkness of your trial. The first truth I'd like you to see in verses 16 and 17 is that God's compassion reaches you in the darkness. God's compassion reaches you in the darkness. There's something about the dark that is unsettling. Last night in our house, we played a game that we play every once in a while. I must say, I had... You know, it's hard growing up in a preacher's home because everything's an illustration or can be an illustration, so you always have to be on guard, right? I can't say I didn't have this in mind when we played this game, is that we wait until dark, and then we play a game where I hide somewhere in the house, and the kids have to come find me, and when they find me, my attempt is to scare the living daylights out of them. And if they don't scream, I'll pay them a dollar. Oh, yeah. And it's always interesting for me to hear the giggles and the tension as the kids exit that one room that has a light in it and close the door behind them to a house that is completely dark. You can feel it. 
And our families lived in this house for over six years. We know the house backwards and forwards. It's, it doesn't have clutter on the floor. It, everything's in its place. It's not as though we don't know the layout of the house, but yet when you step into that known area in the middle of the pitch darkness, there's something unsettling, isn't there? When I was a youth pastor in Indianapolis, we had the greatest youth building ever. It was an old church right across the street from the building that we met uh, as, our, uh, as our, our normal church gathering. It was right across the street, surrounded by a graveyard. And it was this little chapel with a basement. And the basement was actually below ground. And so we'd go in the basement and we'd say, guys, you are six feet below the level of the ground, surrounded by a graveyard. Do you know what that means? And of course, their eyes would get real big. And we'd turn out the lights and we'd play all sorts of games in low light or whatever. And it was, it was unsettling in the darkness. Are you in the midst of darkness in your life right now? A situation that's it's causing you to be unsettled and fearful. Maybe it's a recent move or grief that has come over you. Perhaps there's an unsettledness to your family, health struggles, financial difficulties, and you can feel the darkness closing in. Or maybe even you've stepped into that darkness and the light has closed behind you and you're unsettled in your heart. And you have a question in your mind, can God's compassion reach even into this darkness? Verse 17 tells us that these disciples set out in the middle of the lake in the evening and it became dark. Psalm 139 gives us such a beautiful picture. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Because even in the darkest times in your life, you can be comforted, comforted with God's presence. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I, make, if I make my bed in the grave, in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Is there a dark place in your life today? You know what is interesting about trials in your life is often, not always, but often they follow immediate mountaintop experiences in your faith. These deep spiritual valleys seem to come right after a peak, don't they? And we see that in this passage that thousands gather before Christ. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes and it is that night, that very night that the disciples are thrown into chaos. And so friend, beware Understand that suffering often follows blessing. 
Now they find themselves on a small boat in the middle of the lake in the dark, and yet God's compassion is there in the darkness. How do you know that, Pastor Joe? Well, when you go to Mark's accounting of the passage, and we talked about this last week and the different perspectives of the same story, Mark recounts that Jesus from the mountain looked down on the lake, and Mark says he saw them struggling. For there's no place you can go that's outside the gaze of God. And then it says he came to them. He came to them. Even in the darkest of dark times in your life, God's compassion reaches out to you because he sees you and he's with you. Secondly, I'd like to show you that God's compassion reaches you in your loneliness. John goes out of his way, even though we already know this fact. We know that Jesus is on the mountain. We know that the disciples are alone in the boat. And yet he goes out of his way in verse 17 to say the following. Look down in your Bible. They started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. They were alone in the boat. The comfort of having Jesus right by your side. And now he isn't. And things are getting worse. We're more connected today than ever before. And yet, surveys would say that we're more lonely today than ever before. In fact, in 2023, at the end of 2023, the Surgeon General put out a, a notice and a, a binder entitled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. That as we look around us, we see people who are more connected than ever to thousands of their friends through social media, through the internet, through texting, and yet people would also say, that in general, they are more lonely than they've ever been. Do you feel alone this morning? Has this epidemic of loneliness affected your heart as well? Perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian. You've been overwhelmed with this feeling of loneliness, of being all alone, and so you've come to church or you've talked to your Christian friend just trying to find some sort of acceptance. You're tempted to think that nobody loves you, that you've, you have to live life in this world all on your own. You're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, and it seems as though you are weighted down and enveloped by the darkness of your sin. Well, just earlier in the Gospel of John, we find this beautiful truth that John chapter 1 and verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and the darkness of sin is on your heart and you've been driven to, to loneliness because you feel as though you're all alone in this world. John chapter 1 and verse 5 says that there is a light that will shine into the darkness of your heart to dispel the darkness. That the darkness of your heart cannot overcome the strength of the Spirit that breathes light into your dead soul. And that you can find hope and light through the person of Jesus 
Christ. I would appeal to you to come to Jesus by faith, to come to the light of God and to find a Father who loves you and will forgive your sins. Come by faith, asking for forgiveness and find a light to dispel the darkness and find a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you still have experiences of this loneliness. You have these moments and thoughts of days where you feel all alone. Can I offer you two thoughts this morning? You could call these two antidotes for loneliness, perhaps not the end in and of themselves, but maybe two thoughts that would help you. Number one, an antidote to your loneliness could be to find greater fellowship by serving others in the church. I'm sure there are people out there who are like this, but I've never found one person or talked to one person who is active in serving other people who says they're lonely. If you're lonely, friend, we have people in our church who would love a visit, who would love to be served. We have plenty of people who are suffering who just one meal brought to their door would brighten up their week, would open up conversations. We have others in our church who would love that, just that one conversation about how they're doing. We have those in our church family who Matt prayed for this morning, who are shut-ins at home or, or in the hospital or in a nursing home. And you stepping into their life and, and spending an hour or an hour and a half of your day to go pray with them, to be with them, would not only solve their loneliness, but yours as well. And stop being a busy body and start being busy about the body of Christ, around the body, within the body. That your serving doesn't necessarily have to be a, a formal way of serving as a greeter or an usher. We would love for you to step into those roles if that would be your desire or to serve in the nursery or in children's church or to teach a Sunday school class, but rather to step into someone's life and to ask them how they're doing and to take that first step. You can dispel your loneliness by stepping into others' lives, by finding greater fellowship, by serving others. Because those who are most focused on what the church can do for them are usually the most miserable. But those who are focused on what they can do for the church are normally the most satisfied. The promise of the church is that you do not have to live a life all on your own, but that may mean that you need to take that first step in finding that fellowship and stepping into those relationships. And if you would like help doing that, please find one of the pastors or one of the greeters. We'd love to introduce you and have you step into that. In fact, I truly believe, I truly believe that one of the main reasons why Christians are lonely today is because we have lost a sense of meaningful church membership. Being involved in each other's lives, caring for each other's spiritual growth. Perhaps a second antidote that we would find as a Christian would be to find greater fellowship through deepening your prayer life. 
When was the last time that you gave yourself to 30 minutes or an hour of focused prayer and communion with God? To open up the Psalms and pray through a psalm. To, to pour out your heart before God. To forget a list of needs and wants. To put those on the side, but just to pour out your heart. And to pour out your burdens before the Lord. To cry out to the God of the universe. And to be totally open and exposed before him. Because you can find a wonderful friendship with the God of the Bible through communion in prayer. And I feel that communion, or I think that communion with God in prayer is perhaps a lost discipline in our church today. In that close fellowship with God that we live such busy lives that we can't even imagine spending 10 minutes in prayer without distraction, much less 30 minutes or an hour. To set aside time during the day, to put it in your schedule, to get alone and to pour out your heart before God. To get on your knees in submission or flat on your face in dependence and cry out to God and find a deep spiritual communion and friendship. Could it be that your testimony through your prayer would be of that of the psalmist in Psalm 73 Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you receive me to glory. And then he proclaims, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Though my flesh and my heart fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And dear senior saints, you may be tempted to believe there's nothing that you can do in this church except pray. But friend, may I encourage you that prayer is a must and a need within the church. And that perhaps God is calling you to that primary and much needed ministry of intercession. Though you may not be able to gather every single Sunday with our church. And though you may not be able to serve as you could when you were younger. Yet you can still pray. And you can approach the throne of God with boldness. Friend, does your heart cry out for that? Like when we, when we think of prayer, does your heart resonate and say, God, that's what I want? If so, would you schedule and set apart appointed times for prayer in your life? Psalm 25, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, and he will pluck my feet out of the net. Because God's compassion reaches out to you in your loneliness and offers you communion in prayer and a body of believers to love and serve and serve with. Can I offer you a suggestion this morning that may be good for you to implement in your life on a weekly basis that would help limit distractions? Would you take a digital Sabbath once a week? Now, some of you work and that's not possible, but just personally. Would you take a digital Sabbath away from news, away from media, away from social media, would you take just one day a week, and maybe it would be Sunday, that'd be 
really helpful, wouldn't it, to just turn off the TV, turn off the screens, turn off the iPads, set aside the phones, take a digital Sabbath to limit distractions, and set aside that time to reconnect friendship with God. Grandparents, teach your grandchildren to pray. Teach your grandchildren to go before the Lord in prayer. Parents, instill a love for prayer with your children. Not only does God's compassion reach out to you in the darkness and in your loneliness, but we see in verse 18 that God's compassion reaches you even in the most intense storms in your life. The sea became rough, verse 18, because a strong wind was blowing. You ever been on a boat at night? It's terrifying, even if it's calm. The Black Sea, I remember as a kid in the year 2000, there was a, there was a Christian cruise line that couldn't get anybody to go on the cruise because uh, it was Y2K and it was like January 3rd that they were going to sail and everybody thought the world was going to blow up. Those of you that are old enough, you remember that? Remember Y2K? Oh my goodness, everything's going to stop. And we all sat in front of the computer watching to see what would happen when the new millennia started and nothing happened. And it, was, it was like a real letdown, right? But there's a guy in our church who said, listen, I can get you and your family, your entire family, all seven of us on this Christian cruise. I had never been on a cruise. I grew up in a pastor's home. We didn't have anything. We didn't have much money at all. And he's like, listen, I pay for your entire family to go because basically if, if, if you and your wife pay, your entire family can go for free. And, uh, and I'd like to pay for you and your wife, so let's go on this cruise. And we were pumped out of our minds. We had a blast. There's almost nobody on the whole ship. It was awesome. Here we are, little kids running around. It's a great memory. But I remember going out on deck at night and seeing that water that was crystal blue and, and clear during the day turn black and the waves. And here the disciples are out on this lake in this tiny boat in the middle of the night. And they, it wasn't just like choppy seas or, or a brisk wind. I mean, if you, if you read this in the original, the strength of the storm is just right there in your face. It says that the sea woke up and was stirred, and there was a mega wind, and the winds and the waves were standing against them, like pushing against them. You can imagine it you know, as, as a monster that wakes up and begins to stir, and everything is forcing against their effort. You ever felt like everything's against you? Like no matter where you turn? Like I just can't win today? You know, you, you wake up and you get, you get that, you've gotten the, that bill in the, in the mail the day before. You don't know how you're going to pay it. You're on your way to work and you get a flat tire and then somebody rear ends your car and they didn't have insurance, you know? And you're like, what is happening? I just can't win. And, and, and what John is communicating with this language is that it, the, the, the storm was standing up against and fighting them in the darkness, in the, in the fear that surrounded them. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. So what's our response when our life is like this? Psalm 46 and verse 2, therefore we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar 
and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. No matter how hard they tried, look down at verse 19. They rode three or four miles. That is a long way. Seven miles across. Rowing three, four miles. They were making headway painfully, Mark says in Mark 6, because the wind was always against them. No matter where they turned, the wind stood up against them. And at first glance, it may seem as though God allowing them and even taking them into a storm that's fighting them so hard would not be an act of compassion. But what God is revealing to them is that they are in a situation that is beyond themselves. They're straining hard and it's not working. It's the same thing that happened last week back in, in, at the beginning of chapter 6. Jesus tells Philip, what? Hey, let's feed everybody. And Philip goes, whoa, we have $45,000. We can't even have enough for everybody to have a bite. This is fiscally impossible. And then Jesus says, we'll see if there's any food that we can share. And Andrew comes back and says, there's only five little crackers, these little biscuits and two little fish. There's no way that we can share and Jesus says, then you're exactly where I want you. And he has the crowd be seated. And he reveals to that crowd and to the disciples that he is the God of the impossible. And now they're in this boat and they're straining to try to get to safety and, and rowing across the lake. And in his compassion, God is allowing them to see that this storm is beyond their ability to fix. God's compassion reaches you in the storm because all of your efforts will fall short. And in his compassion, his, in his compassion, he provides grace that is sufficient because it's only through his grace that you will find peace. What would happen if you could just do it yourself? How would you respond to trials in the future? How would you respond to God if every hardship that came in you could just solve no problem? That's why Jesus says often it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God because there's no problem they don't think they can fix. But Jesus says there's a spiritual problem which no man can fix. What happens when you can just solve your trial is that you don't look to Christ for grace. And so in his compassion, he has brought them to the end of themselves so that they might find grace in their weakness. And friend, listen to me carefully. If you are in the darkness and in a trial in your life in which you find it is beyond you, you are exactly where God wants you. So that you may say with the Apostle Paul, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me and that his strength may be made perfect in your weakness. Because God's compassion reaches you in your storm. And lastly, I'd like to show you this morning that God's compassion reaches you even in your greatest 
fear. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. The end of verse 19, if you look down at your your passage, and it says, and they were frightened. Mark says they were filled with great fear. What is God's antidote for fear? If you'd look, I want everybody to look down at their Bibles if you have one. Look down at your Bibles, and and I have the ESV in front of me, and if you have a Bible journal or you have an English Standard Version in front of you, would you read with me verse 20, one of the most comforting verses in this entire passage. Would you read that out loud with me? John chapter 6 and verse 20. Let's read that together. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. He says, it's me. It's me. You don't need to be afraid. I'm here. You were lonely. It was dark. The storm was great. And you're filled with fear. But I'm here. I'm here now. Everything's going to be okay. As if the storm wasn't enough to... To give them great fear, they look across the water and they see a figure walking towards them. John says they were frightened. Mark says they thought it was a ghost. They're terrified because fear has a way of crippling us when our trials rage around us. And God in his word is telling you, I'm right here. I'm right here. Fear about today. Fear about tomorrow. What will this mean for my family? What will this mean for my children? And Jesus says, it's, it's okay. I'm here. I'm right here. There's no need to fear. You ever felt like you know God is there, but sometimes it seems like he's hiding? You ever felt that? I was listening to a, a preacher that I love to listen to, and he, he asked that question, and I couldn't help but smile. Ever felt like God's, like you know, okay, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, I know God's here. I know God's everywhere. But will you just please come out of hiding so I can see you? Will you at least give grace so that I can sense your, your presence? Will you at least tell me that you're here and friend? That's exactly what he's doing this morning through his word. Is he speaking to you and he's saying, it is I, do not be afraid. How do you respond when you're fearful? Just as a personal testimony, recently I found myself in the last couple weeks responding in fear. Circumstances in my life had, had come up and, and I found myself not even realizing it because often we don't even know we're acting in fear and responding in fear and fear for my family, fear for my ministry, fear for the future. And I'm so thankful for godly friends, godly friends who aren't afraid to step up into your life like, like my friend did and look at me right face to face and say, Don't be offended, but you're acting in fear. You're not thinking on truth. And he was right. 
How do you respond when you are in fear? Well, the only thing that drives away our fear is a greater fear. A young mother who is scared to death of spiders will absolutely turn into super ninja mode to destroy a spider when it crawls near her baby. Because the only thing that casts out fear is a greater fear. And friend, we've been called to fear God. Not in a sense of being scared of him, but with a proper fear of respect and honor. And that in our compassion, in God's compassion, he reaches out to you in your fear and reminding you that the God who is the God over all things is right there beside you and you should fear him more than what's in your life. And so we should fear the consequences of not obeying God more than the consequences of living in obedience. And the most comforting verse in the midst of your trial is that God is there and he is in control overall. And that really is what verse 21 is about. It's an amazing statement. They're rowing seven miles. If you're reading carefully in this passage, how far have they gotten? Just three or four miles into the headwind. Jesus walks across the sea, enters into their boat. And what does verse 21 say? And they were glad to take him into the boat. That's like the greatest understatement in the entire passage, right? They were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Then immediately God and his control ended their trial because your trial will end when God ordains it to end. It will not go on one more second than God allows it and it will not end one second earlier than God wants it to. And immediately they were at the shore and there are some you know, there are some commentators who would look at this and say, well, they, this means that they finally made their way to the end or when Jesus got there, they were just by the shore. But that's not what this verse says. It says, and immediately this is where they were. That God in his sovereignty ended their trial by taking them immediately to the shore. And you may be thinking, Pastor Joe, that sounds great, but my trial isn't going to end on this earth. For I've been given a diagnosis or I have been living with this sustained trial in my life. And friend, that is a true statement. It will not end on this earth, but when you reach the shores of heaven, all trials will cease. And so long for that day, that great day of healing, where you find refuge in the land that you've been longing for your entire life. I'd like to end this morning by just asking the question, what is the purpose of your trial? What is the purpose of your trial? I've heard people say, I don't know what God is doing through this, when that should never really be our answer. I don't know what God's doing. Well, yeah, yes, we do. We know exactly what God is doing. God 
is strengthening your faith. That's exactly what he's doing. No, you don't know all the different ways in which he's going to do that or whether that money that is gone will come back or whether that child who is sick will be healed. You don't know those details, but you do know what God is doing. He is deepening your knowledge of him that your faith may be strengthened. And God in his compassion is revealing things in your life, aspects of your life in which you need to give back to him, in which you need to consecrate to him. I didn't even know I was afraid of that until this trial came. I didn't even know that I struggled with this until the trial came. And so I constantly am able to give that back to God, and he is able to strengthen my faith. The story is told of a a silversmith working in his shop. And as he worked in his shop, he would take the crucible and put pieces of silver in it. And walking by the shop, there was a young child who was fascinated by the fire and was watching the silversmith do his work as he'd place pieces of silver in the fire and they would melt down and turn to liquid. And every once in a while, the silversmith would take a rod and he he would scrape the top of the silver as the impurities would rise to the surface. And this young child says, Sir, what are you doing when you, when you pull off that top layer? The silversmith says, I continue to look into the silver and clean off the top until I find that all the dross is gone and I know it's finally purified because I can see myself reflected in the silver. What a beautiful picture of trials in our life when your life has been placed in the crucible and God is removing the impurities of your life by revealing sin that you did not even know was present and through his grace and through his word that sin can be scraped off your life so that you can be an accurate reflection of him so that when people look at your life, they see Christ. That is the purpose of your trial. Friend, if you're going through a trial... You have no need to fear because God in his love preserves you out of compassion in the midst of the dark storms of life. And in his compassion, he cares for you. Trust in his presence when you cannot see him. Trust in his control when you're tempted to doubt. Find comfort in his compassion when you're lonely and find strength when you are weak. Let me just read for you one quote and we'll be finished. One of my heroes, J.C. Ryle, in regards to this passage, wrote the following. Let all true Christians take comfort in the thought that their Savior is Lord of waves and winds, of storms and tempests, and can come to them in the darkest hour walking upon the sea. There are waves of trouble far heavier than any on the Lake of Galilee. There are days of darkness which test the faith of even the holiest Christian. But let us never despair if Christ is our friend. He can come to our aid in an hour when we do not think and in ways that we do not expect. And when he comes, all will be calm. May that truth be the echo of our heart this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the clarity of Scripture and the comfort that your compassion brings to us. 
that even in these moments of fear and doubt, that you in your love work out your compassion towards us in deepening our faith and helping us understand why you have brought these trials into our lives that we may see the areas in our life in which we do not reflect you, that through your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change our life, that we may better reflect your image. We pray that if there's one here in the dark and loneliness of life that's a Christian, that they would find comfort that your compassion reaches them. And if there's someone here who's not a Christian, that the darkness and the loneliness would drive them to the only one who can save them and a loving Father in heaven, that they would come to Jesus by faith. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you do business with God in regards to the way in which he has spoken to your heart this morning? Would you give back that trial to him? Would you recognize that God is deepening your faith in your trial? Would you run to Jesus to find light in the darkness, to find strength in weakness, to find friendship in loneliness? Would you run to Jesus and do business with God in the quietness of this moment as the instrument plays?